Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I don't know if you've seen the new Black Panther movie, Wakanda Forever, but I saw it just before Christmas and it was epic. One of the stars, Letitia Wright, came to faith in Jesus through a Bible study group for actors. And not long afterwards, she was committed to acting in a film with Nicole Kidman. It was a big gig for her. But she felt God say to her, I can give you more than that. Will you give up that job? In the end, she took a break from acting that lasted seven months to focus on growing in her faith. And all her agents in the UK and LA were like, what's going on? You've only just started your career. Are you crazy? Do you need money? Are you in trouble? And she just told them, I'm fine. I just need to spend time with God. When she returned from her break, her career has taken off in a huge way. And she says that uh, since then, she says, I've had people tell me, hey, you should stop talking about Jesus. But there will always be pressures to keep things private that the world may not agree with. And I'm not trying to force anything on anyone. I'm just sharing my truth because I probably wouldn't be alive right now if it wasn't for Jesus. I probably wouldn't have been able to cope. And she says this, and if someone saves you and brings light and love to your life, you want to share that. You don't want to hide it. I think this is just an amazing story. And you might be wondering, well, why am I telling you this story? As Ivy, we are in a year of blessing. It's very simple. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. He can give us so much more and he wants to give us so much more. But there is a journey of faith to get there. It takes faith to let go of the opinions of others or a career opportunity or a relationship so that God can move us to the greater things that he has for us. So often the journey towards blessing may look like going in the opposite direction to the direction you think you should be going in. And it at times will require us to appear completely crazy to the people around us. So very simply, my question is this, are you willing to do that? God wants to give us more according to his greater purposes for the world and for us. Not our purposes for the world and for us, but his. So today we're gonna be looking at a story that uh, for some of you will be very well known. For others, it may be kind of vaguely familiar. It's the story of Noah. Now, immediately, if this is familiar to you, you might go straight to the elephants went in two by two, hurrah, hurrah, and rainbows and rain. Maybe you think it's crazy to believe as I do that this story actually happened. I think it's worth saying here that the Bible is not the only account of a vast flood in ancient times. For example, there's one called uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a Babylonian story amongst many others but it's only the Bible that describes it as an act of God who is rescuing a world that has fallen into ruin. Last week, Anthony talks about Cain and Abel. They both brought offerings to God. Abel brought first and best and honor God. Cain didn't and it was rejected. So he murdered his brother and uh, you thought your family was dysfunctional. Anyway, some of you have already brought your first and best for our special annual first fruits offering last weekend. Thank you so much. If you haven't done that yet, it's not too late. So the story of Cain and Abel represents one of the many sad consequences of a world that had rejected God and was falling away from God's intended purposes. 
Instead, they're just doing things their own way and it left all kinds of suffering. And that's what the Bible calls sin. So the time scales are a little tricky to calculate in the Old Testament, but hundreds of years have passed since then. And then we have a summary statement at the beginning of chapter six in Genesis that tells us where things have got to. And it says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created and with them the animals and birds and creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. Things have gone from bad to worse. Rather than God's blessing to Adam and Eve multiplying, evil was multiplying. It would later say that the earth was corrupt. In other words, ruined and full of violence. And you maybe you look around and you say, huh, what's changed? In fact, things have gotten so bad in this instance that God says that I regret that I made them. I wonder if you have any regrets. Have you ever felt that you wish you hadn't done something because of how it turned out in the end? and there's nothing you can really do to go back and change it. I think to understand this is really important because it's easy to hear this story and assume that God is some kind of detached, angry, vengeful God just waiting to obliterate everything. And there's lots of people in our world that tell us that's what the Bible tells us about God. I'm reminded of that moment in Bruce Almighty when his life falls apart and he kind of loses it and breaks down. He's like, smite me, almighty smiter. Maybe that's your view of God. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying God doesn't take sin seriously. He does very seriously because in the end it ruins everything. It's just not the only thing that's going on here. Listen very carefully. Twice it says that God regretted what he'd done and his heart was deeply troubled. Another translation says the Lord was grieved that he'd made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. It's like a parent in anguish about a child who has turned away and turned their back on them. God's heart is broken by the rejection of creation and the suffering that has resulted. And we all know that it is the people that we love the most that can hurt us the most. A person who's been hurt by someone they really love can find it very hard to love again because there's always the risk of being hurt again. God took that risk when he made us and he gave us the freedom to choose whether we would love him or not but he has never stopped loving us. So in this story, things have gone from bad to worse. And in order to limit the spread of destructive evil, God decided that he was going to start over. And maybe that sounds severe to you. And I found the words of one commentator uh, really helpful. He says this, what God is apparently destroying in reality has already destroyed itself. That's kind of it, isn't it? In the end, Evil is always self-destructive. Now, if that was the end of the story, then none of us would be here today. But there is hope because it says in verse eight that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't over. In the midst of all the evil in the world, there was one family that was faithful to God. And it is through this family that God was gonna do something new and do something amazing. So I'm gonna take us through this story and I want to specifically look at Noah's journey because as followers of Jesus, it has so much to tell us about how God calls us and works through us to bless others 
and the lived experience of faith following and trusting Jesus. So here it is. Let's start at number one, obscurity. This is where the journey begins. Noah's journey began here in obscurity. He's got no backstory, nothing remarkable, apart from a mention in a genealogy. And the only thing it says about Noah in verses nine to 10 is that he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. I love that. You see, the thing that makes him different from everyone else in his whole generation is simply this, Noah is a friend of God. In this passage, the name that is used for God is Yahweh. It's the most personal name that God gives us in the Old Testament. It's like God and Noah had a relationship on a first name basis. Noah wasn't going along with what everyone else values, prioritizes or celebrates. He follows what God values, prioritizes and celebrates. His life followed a completely different pattern. And that's really what the word righteous means. Noah was a friend of God. I wonder, have you accepted that you can't be a friend of God and be a friend of the world? I'm not saying that you can't be friends with people who aren't Christians. Of course you can. What I'm saying is this, there will be times where what God values, prioritises and celebrates is the same as what our culture values, prioritises and celebrates. And that there will also be times where those two are completely at odds with each other and you have to decide where your loyalty lies. I wonder, are you a friend of God? Noah begins in obscurity. The only thing we know about Noah, apart from his family tree, is that God has shown him love and kindness, and as a result, Noah was loyal and faithful to him above everything and everyone else. So, God speaks to him and says that he's gonna start again, and that Noah is to build an ark, a vast wooden boat that God would use to preserve Noah's family and start again. And so this is the second stage, calling. Noah found favour with God. When God looked at him, he said, I want to bless you, I want to use you. You could say it wasn't so much that Noah found favour, it's more that favour found Noah. That's what qualified him. It's what qualifies you and me to be part of God's plan in the world and be blessed to be a blessing. It's not education, it's not religious performance, it's not our connections or our sociological class. He picks you because he picks you. The more time that goes on in my own life, I become more and more amazed that God would bless me and he would pick me to be part of what he's doing in the world. And yet, he does. God had chosen Noah and now Noah has a choice. Does he do what God is asking him to do or not? God asked him to build an ark in the middle of a desert. Everyone would have thought he was crazy. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to the story of Noah when he talks about his own return, the return that we're still waiting for. And it says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They were oblivious until the flood came and swept them all away. You can just imagine them saying to Noah as he's setting out on this vast construction project, come on Noah, what are you doing mate? Relax, enjoy yourself, have fun. Have you ever had people tell you that? Ever, ever had anyone say to you, you're taking your faith too seriously? God doesn't really want you to do that, does he? You know, it, it looks a bit crazy. I've had that 
many times. Even friends tell me that I had a psychotic episode when I told them about how I'd come to faith in Jesus. It's confusing and disheartening. But Noah didn't listen to all of those voices. He listened to God because God is the one that would take care of him. And he did what he asked. And that's the third stage, obedience. Twice it says, Noah did everything God commanded him. This is really important because I think this is where we can get stuck. We can get really excited about God calling us. Maybe we've got a clear sense of what God's asking to do, a vision for a better future that God wants to work through us. But at some point you have to do something. It might not feel very good. It might seem counterintuitive. You might be misunderstood by others, even your own family, even other people in the church, but you've got to take that step. Noah's willing to obey God, stand out and look ridiculous. That's, the, that's what faith looked like for him. And I wonder, what would that look like for you today? What has God been speaking to you about? Is there anything God has been asking you to do? Are you willing to embrace it and embrace, a looking, embrace looking ridiculous? So Noah goes from obscurity to calling. He takes a step of costly obedience. That's why I've represented it as a downwards, because it can feel like a dying. It can feel like it, things aren't good. And he took that step of obedience. He knew that when he built that ark and entered into it, there was no going back. And they all got in and it started to rain. At that point, Noah and his family could only do one thing and that's the fourth stage. And it's probably the hardest, waiting. I wonder, do you remember how that felt in lockdown? Anyone remember this meme? That was on day six. If you add up all the times in the passage, you can work out that Noah and his family spent about a year and 10 days in the ark. They had no idea how long they were going to be in there. If it was me, I'd be constantly wondering if we'd brought enough food or enough loo roll for all the elephants. Imagine how many times his kids asked, are we nearly there yet? And for that whole period, over a year, God is silent. It doesn't say anything. The last thing God says is get in the ark and after that, nothing. I wonder, have you ever felt forgotten by God? Ever wondered, where are you? Why aren't you saying anything? You're just waiting. In my own experience, there will be times when we're doing exactly what God has asked us to do, but we'll go through a period of feeling very isolated or lonely. Maybe you're just waiting for things to change, but you've got no idea how long you're going to have to wait. And at the same time, and actually this is the hardest thing, God seems silent. You keep reading the Bible, you keep praying, seeking him, but you just don't have the same experience of his presence and closeness or hearing him speak to you that you used to. It can be so disheartening. Maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you've stepped out in faith in some way, trying to make a difference for Jesus. Maybe your marriage is going through a difficult time or your family, or maybe you're being obedient to God in your singleness or the gap between paying your bills and the next payday just seems to get longer and longer. Or maybe there's a situation at work and you're wondering, God, where are you? Why aren't you saying anything? It might, in these moments, friends, it's, it's, it's so tempting to give up, to walk out, jump ship. But then in chapter eight, verse one, it says something. And after that, everything changes. It says this, but God remembered Noah. This is the good news. In the same way that God did not forget Noah, he will not forget you. Don't give up. God does not forget his friends. This is the turning point in the story. The waters begin to recede and eventually after a few more months, a lot longer than they would have hoped, I'm sure, they're able to leave the ark and the ground has dried. 
And when they did, Noah offered a sacrifice and it says that God blessed Noah and his family saying, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The same blessing that he gave to Adam and Eve. And that's the final stage, blessing. And this is so interesting because actually humanity hasn't changed. God and his family weren't perfect. There are some very strange stories that come after this. God knew what people were capable of, but he still blessed them and he made with them what the Bible calls a covenant. Now, very simply, a covenant is a bit like a partnership agreement. It's this agreement with us that he would never destroy the earth, but instead the earth would be the place where God would partner with us to bring his blessing to the world, just like it was always intended to be. Now, that's not to say that bad things won't happen, but it will be the results of our own actions, not his. Now, what's so interesting is that this covenant, this partnership agreement, has no requirements of us. It's like God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows we won't be. And then as a sign of that covenant, he gives us this rainbow. So Noah, a nobody, but not to God, living in obscurity is called to be part of his plan to redeem humanity. Noah responds in obedience, and then he has to wait and wait and trust God before he receives the blessing. And so very simply, the question I want to ask you is this, where do you see yourself in this story? Where are you on this journey? You don't have to dress up as an animal or put on a false beard because it's the story of everyone who's following Jesus will go through times of having their faith tested and receive the blessing of God. So first of all, are you in obscurity? Whether you're alone or have lots of friends, do you know that God is calling you to follow him and to receive his friendship forever today? He sees you, you matter to him, he cares about you. He loves you so much, he gave his life for you. Will you turn to him and follow him and become his friend? Maybe you already know that all of this and there is some step of faith that God is asking you to take. Will you embrace it, whatever the cost, even if people call you crazy, even if other Christians call you crazy, hallelujah. Maybe you're at this point of calling to obedience. Or maybe you've taken that step of faith and you're in a period of waiting. Maybe God has been silent for a long time. Maybe it's, it, you've stepped out in some way. Do not be afraid. God does not forget his friends. He will bring you through. And I think just as we go through this journey individually and sometimes several times in our lives, we go through this cycle as a church together. Two years ago at Ivy, we felt God called us to trust him and make some changes in the way we do things because he's doing something new. Lots of people said we were crazy, but we took that step of obedience and faith. Some people have moved on and left, but many of you have got on board and new people have joined. And that's amazing. Some of you might be wondering, where are we going? When are we going to get there? Are we nearly there yet? And to some extent, we don't really know. We are trusting Jesus. We're following him. And we know that if we do, he will bless us and it will be far greater than anything we could ask or imagine. Let me bring this together. How is it possible to live like this? Trusting God in obedience, in the waiting, towards the blessing. And it's very simple. This story points toward the life of another, the life of Jesus. Jesus began his life in obscurity. He was relatively unknown to people, but not to God. And he receives his calling at the beginning of the Gospels when he's baptised and the Spirit of God rests on him. And this voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Eventually, after three years of ministry, Jesus' act of obedience and trust of the Father led him to the cross where he died for all of our sin. It seemed totally crazy to everyone. Even his closest friends tried to stop him, but he listened to the Father and trusted him. 
You see, the flood made it possible to start again, but it did not change the nature of the human heart. Only the love and forgiveness of Jesus made possible through the giving of his life on the cross for us makes it possible for a person to have their heart changed. That's what every person needs. In the story of Noah, God rescues this family in the ark. But in Christ, God throws himself into the storm. He gives his own life and he allows the full extent of evil and violence and ruin to have its way with him, to do its worth, to nail him to the cross so that through him we might be saved. And then after a period of waiting, this time three days, during which God appeared silent, God appeared defeated, his disciples forgotten, and yet he was raised from the dead. And now through him, he's made it possible for the whole world to be blessed. And he has made his covenant with us through his own blood that he will be faithful and make us into those who partner with him, become like him and bring his blessing to the world. He will make all things new and he will never leave us. And the pattern of his life when we become followers of Jesus becomes the pattern of our own lives because he's gone first and he's alive in us. And that's what makes it possible to follow him from obscurity to calling, obedience and blessing even if it feels like a death of sorts and everyone says you're crazy. And if you find yourself in a period of waiting and trusting, even though it feels like everything is going wrong around you and God is silent, you are in good company. You are not forgotten. Mm -hmm.